going to start off service. I have a friend who I've invited to join me. I'll let him introduce himself. Go ahead. Hey, guys. My name is Sean Hathco, and I serve in the student ministry. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be reading out of Psalm 16, which is written uh, 500 years before the death of Jesus Christ. So in Psalm 16, 10, and 11, it reads, For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, grant me the joy of your presence, and the pleasures of living with you forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, give him a round of applause. Thanks, man. Well, welcome to Easter at White River, and I, I am excited to be with you. I got asked this past week, like, you are a fanatic for Christmas. How does Easter relate to that? I haven't slept in like three days, okay? So uh, I'm ready to go, and I hope you are too. These past two weeks, uh, Palm Sunday and this week, we are looking at this idea of what are the odds? Well, uh, Sean just read for us an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. What are the odds that Jesus would fulfill all those prophecies? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We know that in the beginning, right? The beginning, uh, Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result of that sin, uh, our sin equals death. That somebody has to die in our place to pay for our sin. We also know that uh, that person was prophesied about throughout the Old Testament as the Messiah, the one who would come and do just that, live the perfect life in our place, sacrifice himself through death, rise from the grave so that we could be united with God once again. Our rescuer, our Messiah, our Savior, and that, that is what we're going to celebrate this morning. And so as we jump in, I want to make sure we all understand uh, prophecy is just a specific prediction about the future, okay? So it's these things that were spoken of in the Old Testament that maybe had a, a meaning for that moment, but really they had more meaning for what was to come in the future. And this morning what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time to look at eight of those specific. There were 48 messianic prophecies, 48 prophecies that had to do with the Messiah. And I want to have a little bit of fun because we've got some kids in the room, big kids, small kids, little kids, right? And so I thought uh, I would this morning attempt, as Jesus did, to go eight for eight when it comes to prophecies, except for I'm going to be shooting, shooting Nerf balls into Nerf goals, okay? So I need to ask a question before we get started this morning, and it's questions for the kids in the room, is how many do you think I'll actually hit, okay? Now, wait a second, okay? All right, I don't know who that was. Actually, I think I do. Uh, Think upon yourself and my basketball skills, how, you know, what I, I want you to think, maybe it's one, maybe it's eight, maybe it's five, I don't know, okay, so you can decide, but on the count of three, I want you to yell out how many you think I'm going to hit, ready, one, two, three. Okay, well, I didn't hear the number I heard last night, which is good, which was zero, although there at the end, somebody over there said that, so uh, I didn't give that option, I said one to eight, okay, not zero, that's not an option, all right? I'm not that bad. This one is really close, okay? I hope I'm not. All right, well, let's jump right in, okay? This is prophecy number one. Prophecy number one, if you have your Bibles, you can jump around with me this morning. This is out of Psalm 41, verse 9. In this one, we read that the Messiah is to be betrayed by a friend. 
Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. Now, here's the deal. This first one, I put this goal right here next to me. I'll go ahead and... That was a little nerve-wracking because y'all said I wasn't going to hit one, so (laughs) almost left that short. Um, One for one, right? But here's the deal. This one is, is fairly easy to complete. I mean, let's be honest, in this room, most of us at some point in our lives have probably been betrayed by a friend, right? I mean, Jesus had spent 33 years on earth. The, the likelihood that that would take place was pretty high. I mean, we know in Matthew 26, 49 through 50, that that is exactly what takes place. Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he finds Jesus, gives him a kiss on the cheek, signifying to the Roman soldiers that he is the one whom they are to arrest, and thus fulfilling this prophecy in Jesus' life about the Messiah. Now, here's what I want you to know is that while this one seemed pretty simple as far as to accomplish, uh, maybe you might think, well, I've been betrayed too, so I guess I'm one for one. Uh, well, maybe, okay. But as we go on, you have to keep in mind that not only do we add to these every single time, but they start to get harder and harder to accomplish. And in fact, um, we're going to look at eight today, but the truth is, is that there are 48 of them. 48 Messianic prophecies and over 300 prophecies about the, the Messiah, the one to come, what was going to happen in that time. And so as we continue on here, they get harder and harder to fulfill. Uh, the Prophecy number two is this. The Messiah was to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah uh, chapter 11, verse 12 says this. And I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Now, Zechariah's written, this is written 500 years plus before Jesus walks the earth. And here it is, 30 pieces of silver. Now think about this just for a second. And and you need to know this, that in the Old Testament, Exodus, we're told the lowest rung of price, like the, the cheapest that you could buy a slave for is 30 pieces of silver. Okay. So like, that's like the bottom of the barrel. And we knew, right, as Jesus was gaining popularity and was preaching and healing and teaching that uh, the chief priests, the religious leaders did not like what Jesus was doing. And so they desperately wanted to silence Jesus. And so you would think that as Judas goes to these people who desperately want to silence Jesus, that he would ask for more than 30 pieces of silver. I mean, he at least was probably worth 60 Maybe 120, right? Like this is the person who they want to just silence because they don't understand him. They're fearful of him. And yet, what do we read in scripture? That Judas meets with the chief priests. They offer him 30 pieces of silver and he says, yes. It's not a coincidence. It's just not. Let's keep moving. Number three, Messiah was to be silent before his accusers. This one, I think, would be very, very, very difficult to accomplish. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. All right, now, kids, I need your help here in this morning, okay? Most of you in here, I can see that you have siblings, Okay. At some point, if one of your siblings does something wrong and 
uh, your parents catch wind of this thing that they did wrong, and they blame that on you, my question for you this morning is, are you going to remain silent? Yeah, no, no shot, right? And some of you are like shaking your head, yes, you're a liar. <laughs> you're just a liar, okay? Uh, oh, shoot, somebody just warned me. I, missed, I got fired up and I missed my shots. All right, so hold on. Let's rewind for a second, and then I'll talk about how you're a liar. Okay, shot number two. Oh. All right, well, let's go ahead and take shot number three while we're at it, okay? Oh, that's left. Ugh. It looked good to you, but I knew it was left when I left my hand, right? Here's what happens in our household. I have an older son. His name's Taylor. I have a younger daughter. Her name's Emma. And, and Taylor will do something wrong, and he'll get caught because he is not very good at lying or doing things wrong. And uh, when he gets caught, this one little phenomenon will happen. And, and I don't know where he got. Actually, I do know where he got it. He got from my father-in-law. But anyways, he will. <laughs> he did. He will look at Emma, and he'll be like, Emma. Now, do you think that in that moment, my sweet little daughter sits there and just takes that silently. Heck no. Right? She's like, I didn't do that. There's no way I did that. I wasn't even around. I I'm the girl. I'm the perfect one. I'm the favorite child. I mean, every excuse you could give, she would say right in that moment because she does not want to take the blame for something he did. And yet, and yet, we read this in Scripture. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against Jesus, he remained silent. He remained silent. Jesus was perfect in every way. They accused him of things that he had not done. And yet in those moments when they're yelling, crucify him and accusing him, he doesn't open his mouth. I can't even fathom that. Number four. The Messiah was to be executed by crucifixion, by having his hands and his feet pierced. This is Psalm 22. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now we know that the way that a criminal was to die in the Roman culture was to be nailed to a cross by their hands and by their feet. And Jesus, having been accused of doing something criminal, uh, got just that prescription. And in fact, he was led out uh, to Golgotha and carrying his cross. And at that point, his hands and his feet were nailed to the cross, lifted up with a sign above his head that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In that moment, the fulfillment of that prophecy took place. Shot number four. Nope. Hey, if you get one of those, bring it back to me at the end, because I only have eight, and I'll be in trouble if I don't have them for next service, all right? <laughs> not kidding. I should have ordered one more extra, and I did not. Now, here's what I know to be true. I know what you might be thinking. I thought the same thought myself. Jesus knew the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus knew what was written about the Messiah. And so couldn't have Jesus, to this point, couldn't he have manipulated and made these things happen in his life? And the answer to that question is yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He could have asked one of his friends to betray him 
uh, for 30 pieces of silver. To take the bare minimum, he could have uh, said some things that he knew uh, other people would run off and tell uh, the Roman soldiers, the chief priests, so that he would be arrested as a criminal. He knew what the death penalty was for a criminal. And so the certain things that he said, he could have said purposefully so that they would crucify him. Absolutely, yes. But here's the thing, we're only halfway through. Because you see, these next four become increasingly more difficult for Jesus to have manipulated in any way to make happen. Prophecy number five, the Messiah's clothes were to be gambled and divided. The same Psalm, Psalm 22, two verses down, verse 18, they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice for my clothing. You see, I... I don't know how Jesus would control this one. He's hanging from the cross. His clothes have been taken from him. We know that. He was given a robe for a time. And now he hangs there on the cross as the Roman soldiers begin to throw dice and gamble to split up his clothes. I'm pretty sure that they didn't do anything at the request of those who were hanging on the cross, the Roman soldiers. And yet in this moment, uh, it takes place where they're gambling. It says this in Matthew 27, 35, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. It is almost word for word the prophecy that was written about the Messiah. Nope. That was a bad shot. That was a bad shot. I wish I could hit every shot for you so that you could understand how unbelievable this is. Number six, the Messiah was to be given vinegar to quench his thirst. Also found in Psalm 69, verse 20. Their insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. If only one person would show some pity, if only one would turn and comfort me. But instead, they give me poison for food and they offer me sour wine for my thirst. Now, understand this, that, that culturally at the crosses where they uh, hung the criminals, there was this wine vinegar mix, but that was there for the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers were out there all day, all night, watching over the criminals until they had passed. So yes, there was something there that was to drink for them as soldiers, it would take, listen, it would take one of them having pity on a criminal they just nailed to a cross, risking maybe even their reputation, maybe even their own life to give something of theirs to the criminal. And yet, and yet that is exactly what takes place in Matthew 27, 34. A soldier soaks a sponge in this wine, vinegar, and hoists it up to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't take it. But it fulfills the scripture saying that one of them would take pity on the Messiah. One of those soldiers took pity on Jesus, fulfilling prophecy he probably wasn't even aware of. Hope oh, I about forgot my shot again here. Oh, this one's going to be tough. Why are you guys laughing? <laughs> Don't go in the water. Gosh, I'm getting weaker as we go on. Okay, I promise the next two will be better. This one. 
this one would be impossible. It, w- it wouldn't be possible for Jesus to have any control over this one. The Messiah was not to have a broken bone. Psalm 35, verse 20. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Listen to that. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Now, okay, kids, I know this is going to be a little tense for a second, and I'm sorry. But the truth is, is that once the criminals were hung on the cross, and once they thought that they were gone and dead, it was custom. It was the tradition. This is what they did every single time to every single criminal they crucified. They would go along and they would break their legs to make sure that they had actually passed from this life. Every single criminal. Until. Until Jesus. John 19, 33 says, But when the soldiers came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. Why? Why? Why would they, when they come to Jesus, how? These guys have been hanging on crosses for multiple hours. How would they determine out of all the criminals that they had crucified that this one was already gone, already dead? There's no need to break his bones. Why? Well, John tells us, verse 36, These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken. There's only one answer to that question. To fulfill prophecy. Because God was in control. Jesus, having already died, could never have manipulated the Roman soldiers to not break his bones. And yet, that's exactly what happens. All right, look out over here on my right side. That one's going to be long. (sighs) Have you noticed something about my shots here, besides the fact that they're bad? They keep moving further and further away from me. Why? Because they're more and more difficult for one person to fulfill. Now, just imagine for a second. Just imagine this with me, all right? What if I, this morning, had gone seven for seven? What, what, what would be your feeling right now? Would you be on the edge of your seat ready for me to shoot shot number eight? Like, what in the world? How has he been doing this? Does he do this for a living, right? Like, you would be wondering and excited. And yet what I'm telling you this morning is Jesus has gone seven for seven so far. Like that same excitement that you just felt when I said that is the same excitement we should have because he has gone seven for seven. And let me just give you the spoiler alert. He's going to go eight for eight. Messiah was to be raised from the dead. That's why we gathered. It's what we celebrate. It's what was read to us to start the service. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. Listen, this has not happened before, nor has it happened since. This is absolutely impossible for Jesus to have any control over. He was dead, gone, put in the grave where a stone was rolled in front of him and Roman soldiers were there. And then we know that three days later, God raised him from the dead to do what? To fulfill prophecy. It is M.
possible. It's absolutely out of question that he could have controlled this whatsoever. So this blast shot is back there on the back wall. Okay? I know what you're thinking. There's no way you're going to hit this. All right? So if you're in that back section, just get ready. I'm going to do my best. We're going to send it here. Okay? Go, go, go. Oh, Danielle, I think you just caught that for me. Thank you. Appreciate that. What if I were to hit that? <laughs> awesome. Jesus did. Jesus fulfilled it. It's, it's the height of human history. It's the day that we literally count time from since. It's the thing that we gather to celebrate every single year, not just us, but people all across the earth. It's the prophecy that was fulfilled that would give you and I life and life eternal. This is what that morning sounded like. Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he is going ahead of you in Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were both very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to grasp his feet and worship him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and I will see them there. Amen. He is not dead. He has risen indeed. He has risen indeed. He was a perfect eight for eight. And in fact, he was a perfect 48 for 48 when it came to the messianic prophecies. And the odds of that happening are very, 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 very slim. Kids, if you have your sheet, look at the outer rim of your sheet. You will see the odds of Jesus. It's one times 10 to the 57th power. Adults, this is what it looks like. I'm not gonna attempt to read that number. There's only one. It's either... He isn't or he is. And that one chance represents what I believe today and what we gather to celebrate, that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Rescuer. He is our King, Jesus. Now you might be in here this morning and, and, and I don't fathom by a room this large, that maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And so this is what I want to do this morning, is I want us all to pray together out loud. But what I want specifically is that if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to do that today, listen, this is not a thing of odds. It's just a fact of life. Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies about the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He came 
He did what he said he was gonna do. And the truth is, is he's coming back. And when he comes back, oh, I don't want you to miss out on that. And so this morning, what I wanna do in this room right now is, and I want specifically, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you wanna do that right now. Listen, you don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to fix things. You don't have to outdo your, good, your bad with good. You, the Bible tells us that what we have to do to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior is to believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth. And you can do that this morning. But I also want everybody else in here to pray with me. I don't want them to be alone. And so I'm gonna ask everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads. That's you kids too, no peeking, okay? I just want you to repeat after me as I say this prayer. Jesus, that's, that's where you, yep, there we go. Jesus, I believe that you fulfilled prophecy. And I believe that you are who you say you are. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed that for the first time, heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. And if you prayed that for the first time, let us walk with you through that decision. Come find us afterwards. We'll be up here to your right, my left. We don't want you to do that alone. You're not intended to do that alone. But if you know Jesus in this room, if you know Jesus in this room, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It's in you right now. You carry it with you every single day. And listen, I'm guilty of this too. There are days I don't care it well. There are days I don't believe it. There are days I struggle to trust it. But we've got to keep preaching to ourselves that it lives in us and keep begging God to give us the faith to live in that power. I want to close today by praying this over you. This is a prayer of Paul's straight out of Ephesians. And so let's close in prayer. Jesus, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. His name is Jesus. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that the same power that raised you from the dead lives in us. We have access to that every single day. Jesus, forgive us when we don't believe that that power exists. In us. Build our faith and our trust in you that you can do the same things you did on earth when you were here in our lives now. Jesus, thank you for rising from the grave so that we might be united with God and be able to live forever in eternity with you. And for that, Jesus, you deserve all glory, all honor, and all praise to the only King, 
a name above every name. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.